thank you for listening today. I'm really excited to have Chidi Kumar on the phone. Uh, Chidi's in Raleigh, North Carolina. And, um, Chidi, you've got your hands full. You've got Garland, which is a, a restaurant, uh, which is uh, has a neat aspect to it that I saw you're on the, the sort of down, in downtown Raleigh. You've got a walk-up window. Uh, but you've got Garland. You've got Neptune's Parlor uh, downstairs from that, which is a bar. And then you have King's Barcade upstairs, which is a music venue. And then you're you're in a band. Like, you've, you're, like you're doing a lot of stuff. Huh? <laughs> yeah. how, do you, how do you do it all? Um, I, I'm constantly sleep deprived. <laughs> I think that's the main main downside to it. Um, we I didn't take it all on at once. It's been sort of a, a layering effect. Um, I've been playing music for a long time, so that's been sort of this ongoing thing that I always did, and supplemented uh, the lack of income <laughs> of being a musician with uh, restaurant work and uh, bartending. So that's where that all started and. Um, my partners actually had Kings at a different location um, that opened in 1999 down on McDowell Street next to where Pool's Diner is now. Uh, and that building got raised uh, when the block got developed. So when we wanted to do the next you know, phase of Kings, we really it was important for us to have more um, options available. We wanted to have a cocktail bar so people weren't only coming to see whatever band was you know, booked that night, and then I've always wanted, I thought I always wanted a restaurant. <laughs> you know, be careful what you wish for is what they say. Um, so it's been a gradual uh, adding on one new aspect at a time, um, and it's definitely, I've, I think I've reached my limit here. <laughs> now, you've got, so Garland is your restaurant, so and, and how long is, has that been open? Well, um, we we started off as just a walk-up window, and that was in the um, in May of 2013, and um, so we did the window only for uh, let's see, from May until October, and what that allowed us a chance to do was to have me have a template of a. Uh, kitchen staff and establish our kitchen systems that way and figure out sort of the ingredients that we were going to use, the flavor profiles that, that we liked and develop a little bit of an identity and um, also be renovating the dining room because we did a lot of that work ourselves or with friends. So it was, um, you know, not the traditional like contractor comes in, does everything, you know, gets finished in six weeks. Um, since the building was already, this space was already a restaurant previously to us being the tenants, um, we had sort of a, a a good structure, a good basis to renovate onto. So um, we weren't starting from scratch. So long story short, we um, closed the window at the end of October and then opened the uh, dining room in December. And um, that's basically where we've been at. We opened the window back up for lunch for a little while, um, but it, you know, having it be weather dependent was really tricky and very stressful. <laughs> so, and um, we're not really using the window very much now. Um, we're kind of only going to bust it out for special occasions and festivals and times when it makes sense for us to have that extra aspect to our service. But that was a neat idea. So I mean, that so you knew you were into the restaurant, but you were able to put the window in uh, to um, you know to let people try your food to establish some brand identity. I mean, that, that's a 
That's a really creative thing to do. I don't I mean, is that something you had heard of somebody doing before, or how did you come up with that? I, I didn't. I like the idea of a window. Um, I mean, I saw it, you know, at in different cities. Like when we were on tour, we played in South by Southwest in Austin at South by Southwest, and there were always a couple of windows. And it ended up being like the only thing that we got to eat because we were playing three or four shows a day during that festival. And it was like, well, why Raleigh has you know kind of a developing pedestrian downtown and. We kind of should have that, and you know, we don't have the volume really of foot traffic. So it's, um, I think it made sense to me because of Kings, and like we have people here in the building. They're not just coming to eat, and sometimes they're not just coming to the show. It to me, it just felt like a complete evening, you know. Um, but it's it's also almost like you know, people have food trucks, and then they open brick and mortar restaurant so this is sort of our brick and mortar truck <laughs> it was a little trial so it it definitely had some um positive aspects to it but it was also almost like opening two restaurants back to back you know it felt like we were starting over in a lot of ways when we opened the dining room yeah yeah well that's a really creative thing to do now what so why so uh, how, how I mean, have you been in the restaurant business before in the past, or what drew you to wanting to do this? Um, probably insanity. <laughs> um, I've just always loved food, and I've always been, um, I guess, into it. I've always cooked my whole life, and I've never, you know, owned a restaurant before, and I wasn't really like a professional chef. Um, I did work in kitchens, and I catered on the side on my own and worked with another catering company briefly off and on. Um, and, you know, just sort of like um, my family's really food-driven. We are the kind of family that talks about what our next meal is going to be as we're eating the the, the right. meal, you know. Like, okay, breakfast is good. What are we going to have for lunch? And then at lunch we're planning dinner. Um, we're food-obsessed people, and... Um, I think it's because we traveled so much as a band um, and went in so many places and just were inspired by some of the things that other cities um, have. And granted, you know, the size is not, we're never going to be like New York, you know, but um, there were just cool ideas and cool flavor profiles that um, I felt like could be here, uh, especially with the kind of produce that we have. I just really loved and I still just love the whole agriculture of North Carolina. I love how much bounty we have, at the risk of sounding a little bit corny, but um, every season has such distinct um, harvests, you know, and there's so many ingredients that are available that are really comparable and compatible with Asian profiles. I think it's maybe the climate is pretty much the same, um, and there's you know, just being in the South, obviously, I think everybody knows at this point, like, Southern uh, cuisine has a distinct culture, which is maybe a little bit unique to America. Um, it has probably the oldest tradi traditions, and it is the most, like, sort of um, has evolved over time. You know, there's multiple influences. It's its own fusion in a way, you know. There's African, there's Car Caribbean, there's, like, you know, uh, European, obviously, so all of those things have like mashed into this really cool um, heritage, and so I, I feel like Southern food has this heritage which rings 
a note with me because I'm from India and grew up cooking with a certain heritage. And when we moved to America, we kind of evolved how we did that, um, how we did our food in our family, you know. Um, some ingredients weren't available, and then a lot of ingredients that we couldn't really get our hands on when we were in India are just like at the at every corner market. You know, it's just I don't know. Um, I'm rambling a little bit here, but um, no, this I, is really I, fascinating because you you mean you have a you have a passion for and lots of experience with the food end of this, um, which is such a key piece now then there's a lot so but then talk about you know kind of what you learn there's 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 food and there's cooking the food and then there's owning and running a restaurant managing staff exactly. uh handling the business side of it like what have you learned in this process uh that's been sort of eye opening for you and and you know maybe things that you hadn't thought of before you got into it that you know have been good learning experiences for you along the way yeah it's it's completely different to you know be an excellent home cook and make creative dinners and have good dinner parties even. Um, but when you open a restaurant, the uh, regimented way that you have to approach everything, um, it took me a while and I'm still, I struggle with how to balance a creative process with implementing this in a, in a realistic way that's going to be financially feasible, it's going to be uh, ex- executable, if that's a word, by um, everybody on the staff, you know, so you're not like constantly sabotaging your own life. Like, well, I'm the only person in the building that can do this. You know, um, right. it has to be relatable to people. You have to be able to like reproduce it the same way every single day. Um, and you know, then there's like very realistic issues of how many ingredients does this have, and do I have the space for it? Can I keep it fresh? Can I get it? Is it available? Like, is am I going to run into something that I need to wait two weeks to get? Is it going to be gone as soon as it catches on? You know, all of those like little logistical things just become a part of the creative process. Process now, like initially, it was um, it felt wrong to think about those things because it felt like a compromise. But now it's just modifying how you think about stuff and knowing like where to place things and who on your staff you can trust with which component of whatever idea it is you have, whether it's, you know, cocktail or wine selection or or coming up with a dish. And then within that dish, what are the trickiest pitfalls, you know, and anticipating. I think the biggest thing is anticipating problems and anticipating mistakes and being one step ahead of it and, like, almost having the psychic ability to, like, go, this is going to mess up today and this person is going to do this and it's not going to, you know, just like go ahead and communicate your, um, you know, sort of the red flags of every recipe, every situation, communication, and talk to your staff constantly. You just can never stop, you know. It's um, it's such a exercise in diligence, you know. Um, so yeah, an exercise in diligence for sure. Yeah, um, you just have to stay on top of everything. And that's, you know, like knowing... I don't know. It, it kind of makes your day different. It makes your brain opera, operate a little bit differently. It's not just about, like, making food, you know. It's so much more than that. But at the end of the day, it is about the food. So that can never be the thing that, you know, gets compromised. You just have to be um, think about it in a in a much bigger picture sense. Yeah, it's like, you know, making food that is – 
doesn't sacrifice quality so that it tastes great, but then also generates a profit because the business needs to be successful to stay in business. It's a, it's a balance, isn't it? It's a it really is tricky balance. It's absolute just, it's like balance. A, yep. It, it, that is absolutely the word, and that's the, I think the biggest sort of challenge is, you know, balancing all of the components of the business, balancing the business with your personal life and having a personal life, um, balancing working really hard with resting and not feeling guilty about that, and um, balancing giving people responsibility without, you know, letting go too much, all of those things, it's... I think you kind of have to be a Zen master to do this well, and I'm not anywhere near that. So it's been that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, it's been well, a challenge. you know, I, you know, I read a, I read something recently. Um, it was an article, and this guy he was talking about. I mean, he was actually primarily talking about software businesses, which is you know what I'm in. But he he said that, uh, but really for a lot of entrepreneurs, he said you have to do things early on that are that are unscalable or, you know, that you can't, like early on, the first year, two years or whatever, you just almost have to be willing to, I, I just, I think it's hard probably to find that balance, especially in your business, uh, the restaurant business where um, you have to pour so much of yourself into it for a while until you can, you, until you can find that right formula for the food, for the service, for the, you know the the right communication with your team, the trusting in team members to do things. Um, Finding I would that think team. that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it just takes a while, but it's almost like you, there's just no way around it, is there? For, for no, the first couple of years, like I don't, I really don't think so. Um, un, unless you have like, I don't know, a different kind of situation where you have unlimited financial resources, you have a team, and it's like really well organized. I mean, it almost has to be like a lot more corporate, you know, where the template of what you're doing is already kind of there and you're just yeah. filling it in. But so much of, you know, having an independent restaurant is is like pouring yourself into it. That's the whole point. Like you want to present a certain personality. You want the place to have a particular character. And, you know, a lot of that is just an extension of how you think and like, I think for a lot of us, this is the only way we kind of know how to do it, so we just do it this way, you know. Um, and there's no substitute for just being here. You just have to put in the, ta- the the time. You have to put in the hours, the labor, the stress, the anxiety, the depth of detail, the anticipation, like all of it. Yeah, I, I don't, I. If there is another way around it, please let me know. But I'm not. I can't imagine not doing it this way. Yeah, and then you've got. I mean, and, and then you're balancing that too with like, you know, Neptunes and Kings, and then you're in this awesome band. By the way, folks, if you're listening, Birds of Avalon, check them out. They're they're fantastic. So how? I mean, do you like? Wow. I mean, you're you're really. So have you had to uh, take less time at, at that? You oh, know, to get Garland yeah. going or. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when, you know, we moved into this building in 2010, opened Neptunes uh, within two months of signing the lease, and then opened Kings within, uh, like, almost two and a half months later. So it was like, bam, 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 really, like, a lot, um, a lot of stuff to happen in one year. Um, And though the businesses are symbiotic, they're still kind of separate, you know, when there's music venue and all of the 
details that go into, you know, the sound system and booking and, you know, how ahead of that you have to stay. And, you know, there are four partners for this. So that, you know, that part of it wasn't something that I took on by myself. But, like, you know, just building a bar program for two places. And, and I took my time. I mean, that was, there was two years of um, getting those two businesses on their feet and getting it to where they were um, somewhat self-reliant. And, you know, you, you get systems in place. You have a team that you can, you know, hold some people's responsibilities or these and this and this, and you can sort of, you know, um, why am I not thinking the word? Uh, just pass some of those daily tasks on to people. Delegate. Delegate, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, right. yeah. And then when, when Garland opened, I mean, when we started, I was really focused on Garland starting in 2013. Um, that was it. I mean, we didn't really play shows. I didn't even touch a guitar for six months last year. I, there's just no way. You just can't. I mean, and now maybe slowly it's starting to feel like all of these things are a part of my life now in a more equal way, but really Garland has been the absolute glutton of my time. You know, it just sucks everything out. So, um, well, t- talk a little bit about Garland. What t- what t- so talk a little bit about you know what's your I, I say concept. I mean, what you know what you're what you're doing with Garland. Why why is it there, and and um, and what are you all all about? Well, um, we aren't a single focused uh ethnic cuisine but um I, I guess we're sort of spice driven um the backbone of the menu and the food is indian um but it's much more than that i mean and it just branches out i just kind of ends up being food that like i like and food that i feel like people with that palate will like you know so it's there's a definitely a lot of like korean influences um there's you know like i said indian food there's some northern chinese food influence um a little bit of middle eastern and again like i think i said earlier like the climates in all those places are pretty similar to each other and also to the south and then the way the spices and the flavors and the techniques migrated from one place to another um are really fascinating to me, and they make a lot of sense, um, and they work well with what we have available here, meat and fish and produce-wise. So it's sort of like, um, I mean, it's immigrant food, I guess, and in that way it's a fusion because that's what people do when they move from one country to another. They take what they bring with them, and then they use what they have in front of them, and you make something new, you know. So hopefully it all makes sense together, but it's... um, seasonal cuisine because you know it's the only way to eat it's the only way that makes sense so we might not change our menu per se but we'll change components in those dishes as often as you know nature allows and um so a very long-winded answer there um no no, no it, it, it is and i wonder because you know you're like you get great reviews you get uh, there's great word of mouth in raleigh about garland uh, other restaurants uh, folks that I talk to that I know in Raleigh talk about you all. So I know the food is clearly really good. Uh, what else are you all doing well? Because you don't get, like, all that just from, like, good food. You have to have, you know, you have um, to have good Well, we have an excellent food. staff, back and front. 
Um, they really know the menu really well. They're able to talk about it and convey it in a um, in a way that's easy to understand. We have uh, an adventurous, small but I say tight wine list. Like it's and we work on it constantly. We rotate that and we make sure that the wines make sense with the temperature outside. Um, our cocktails are inventive and really fun and super delicious <laughs> and I'm not just being biased here um we uh curated the spirits that we use very carefully we do a lot of special orders so we have things that you can't find at the ABC store in North Carolina if you're living in North Carolina you know how limited that is because of the state laws um it and the decor is really I it feels really good in here it's got sort of a modern but comfortable vibe the lighting um is you know flattering i hope <laughs> there's a lot of uh dark tones there's a lot of playful bright colors there are a lot of murals um and well we have like our back wall is like all little miniature murals of uh, indian matchboxes so they're those are really bright and vivid it it's it's a cool looking space if i do say so myself so i think um a lot of people say when they come here that they sort of forget where they are. You know, it's not like distinctly southern, but it's also not distinctly anything. It's just kind of playful and fun, but serious and refined at the same time. Yeah, and really unique, which is which is neat. And you clearly put a lot of attention. Just listening to you, I can tell you put tons of attention in every aspect of the business, um, and uh, have not you know left anything. Um, overlooked. So well, you, I'm you, sure. You, um, I know we have, but thank you. <laughs> if it seems that way, that's that's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it, there's there's just so many aspects, but um, but I can just tell you, pay close attention to to detail, and and uh, and I love that you're, you know, um, just hearing you talk about the you know the, the wine list that changes constantly. I mean, you just pay a lot of attention to the little things that make you know the whole experience uh, even better. Um, for your customers and make them want to return and and so forth. Now, do you um, you've got now I guess you know a good amount of experience just with and I guess you must have just one landlord if you're in that's all in that building. But mm-hmm. talk. I mean, one of the things I hear a lot is like you know you, you, you like people talk about like negotiating leases. Like, have you learned some things over time about how to negotiate a you know a, a good lease, a lease that you know, sets the business up for for long-term success? Yes. um, That was something that we worked really hard on, obviously, before we got in here, and that's the key. You you don't want to regret any of the decisions that you make when you're really excited and you have stars in your eyes and you fall in love with the space and you have all of these visions of how it could work. Um, Obviously, that's, you know, a very inspired time, and everybody, you know, wants – when you're when you're in that process, you're like, no matter what, we have to have the space. You know, you just get into that mode, but you kind of don't want to um, hope for the best. You know, you kind of have to plan for the worst, and that has to be sort of written into your business plan and your lease, and you know, all of your decisions initially when you're raising capital and uh, figuring out what your rent escalations are. Uh, when they happen, how much they happen, how long your term is, what your extensions are past your lease term, um, and whether or not you're going to be asked to do a personal guarantee. And that's like a big clause, you know. Um, it's a very unpredictable business. And 
it's super risky, and that's why banks don't lend people money if they want to go open a restaurant. Um, you kind of really need to think about all of the bad scenarios before you even get into the door, and um, that's something that you know we we really learned and. We had a couple of spots that didn't work out, so we sort of had some trial runs, if you will, um, which was good, you know, and it was really painful for us to not get those spaces, and again, you know, all those, like, visualizations that you have about a space and how cool it would be and all of that go, you know, just get flushed down the toilet when it doesn't work out, but you mend your heart, and then you move on and you find another space, and I think the the main thing to think, to realize from that is, like, your um, your emotions are always going to fuel what you do, and they're not necessarily married to a spot. So be really smart about negotiating your lease and make sure you give yourself enough time um, to make your money back, to have a healthy business, but um, make sure that you're not, like, tethered to it if it's not going to work, that it's not going to ruin you financially for a good decade or something, you know. Um, and then also to be sure that... Hopefully your landlord can either give you a little break on your first year or give you some time to do construction because there's always delays. And um, no matter what your contractor tells you, somebody's going to drop the ball. Something's not going to come in on time. Or you may have, you may need more time, you know, to really do it right before you unlock the doors. You can't ever undo that move. So you have to be really ready and, you know, Taking shortcuts in the beginning and saying I'll fix it later, it's never going to (laughs) happen. So, you know, time is money in that situation. So if you can think about all of the worst-case scenarios and hopefully have at least some of them written into your lease, you'd be ahead of the game. Yeah, what what just a great, great piece of advice you just gave. And how do you – I mean, you, you clearly are able to articulate that really well and have spend a lot of time learning about the, that process. Is that something that, I mean, do people need to get a good attorney to do that? Or, did, like, did you all learn this on your on your own? Or, or how do you, I mean, how do you make sure you're doing a good job with that? Because it, it is such an important piece, and you can, you know, that kind of thing can make or break a, a business eventually if the lease isn't done right. So what do you recommend Absolutely. to people I mean, that I think, you know, don't have that experience? Well, we were, we're fortunate in our partnership. Um, ben Barwick is... Um, his other job is to be a commercial property person. I mean, he he owns and leases buildings to post offices, and that's what his family does. So he has a lot of experience with commercial leases. Um, We, uh, you know, you also have to sort of feel out the situation. Our building is owned by six people. It's It's like a collective landlord, and so we were dealing directly with them. We sat in a room with them, you know, the four of us, the six of them, and we talked about whether or not the um, our concept worked with what they needed to get every month, you know, uh, whether they believed in what we were doing and, uh, you know, how much of a base did we already have. And we were fortunate to have Kings already have this sort of legacy and a following and a name and a brand. Um, so they kind of wanted us to be in here, and that helped a lot. It made it... Um, a lot less of a sort of lawyer versus lawyer situation, which can also get really expensive. And ultimately, I think, you know, when, you, when you're talking about leases, it's still like we're people, you know. Their office is around the, around the corner, and they're gonna, we're going to see them, you know. It, you kind of have to feel out the situation. And if you have a personal relationship with your landlord um, 
or if you can at least just talk to them and not only go through their broker or, or the middleman, then um, you may not need to rely on your on your legal advice as heavily. Um, and I think that's usually when you have the most success, you know, because ultimately you're going to have to deal with a person. So you might as well start off with that. But you do need a lawyer. You know, you have to make sure that there aren't things hidden in the lease that they may not or may not intend to. You don't know what the origination of their lease is. Like, are they using some boilerplate thing that somebody downloaded, you know? You don't know. <laughs> you right, just need right. to have somebody look at it. And, you know, that's that's the thing, like, when, you, when you're doing business stuff, um, the origination, the process of all of that, it keeps it stays with you for a really long time. These are long decisions that are made, so you you, you do have to be really careful about what you've signed your name to. Well, yeah, and you know, like this is sort of like the unsexy side of the business, but it's the side that, in my opinion, like a lot of times people may overlook this, and that that's you know they have good food, good concept, or whatever, but there's like business decisions that need to be made and. and made widely otherwise the business itself may not succeed even though the concept was good or the you know the people running it were smart or whatever but yeah you can um, have it all but like the profit margin in this business is so small and a difference between yeah super like five percent mistake is basically everything that you might get to take home you know so what may not seem like a lot of money in one way to sort of waste adds up really quickly yeah, I worked in a, a kitchen one summer when I was a teenager, and I didn't have any appreciation for, like, any of the big concepts like that. And so I was doing prep work, and I'd always get, like, shredded cheese, like extra cheese on the counter, and my manager would walk by, and he'd pick up this, he'd, like, pick up, like, a pinch, like, you know, like, some in his hand, and he'd hold it, and he'd go, money, money, money. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, oh, he's crazy. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. But, you know, that really is true because those pennies, you know, Every hour, every day, every month, every year, add up big time in your exactly. business. Exactly, and, and uh, that could be one of your utility bills right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so you, what I'm saying. Like, you know, anticipating mistakes that somebody who's just an hourly person, they just come in, they just, you know, I'm going to knock out a bunch of cheese grating or whatever. It's like, which grater do you use? Are you know, are they going to be able to get down to the nub? Is it smart for me to get it? you know, an attachment for my RoboCoop to do this or, like, what's going to pay for itself faster, you know? Little things, right? See there, attention to the details. And then how, well, how do you uh, – that's an, and that's another interesting piece to me. I always like to to find out, Chidi, is, is, you know, like when I talk to owners – like, like, so this is your business, right? So you're you're gonna you're gonna pay attention to the details. You're gonna care about each decision that's made. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna go over and above and over above and beyond, you know, in, in every aspect of the business. But then, how do you get the person who's coming in there and who's putting in, you know, five hours a day in the kitchen or whatever, three or four hours a day serving? Like, how do you uh, get people? How do you inspire people like that to care as much as possible? Part of it is probably hiring good people, but then even when you hire good people, you know, over time, like how do you keep them engaged and inspired and motivated to, you know, do the best job for the business? Well, that's probably the biggest challenge you have as, a, you know, a restaurant owner, especially if you are like me and you're in the kitchen. I mean, I think a, a big thing is to lead by example and, you know, I work harder than anybody in the kitchen. I work longer hours than anybody in the kitchen. And 
if I'm not going to take shortcuts, I expect that they shouldn't either, you know. And so leading by example is a huge way of doing it. But there's some people who don't get it, even if you're doing that. You, I mean, it's a combination of, like, hopefully putting a little fear in them and then explaining the reasons why. And it's not always about the money. It's about the taste and understanding what your dishes are and um, being able to articulate why you're doing doing this in this sort of long, complicated way, why aren't we opening a, a bag and dumping it out into our container and putting it on a line? You know, we don't, because this is the difference, you know, um, being able to switch things out a little bit here and there, introducing them to new ingredients and letting them try the food. I know we just talked about, like, food waste, but I think that, like, being able to feed your staff and having them understand what why they're doing things and what they're cooking. Ultimately, it's not just, you know, I, I always say, like, we're not just crossing off prep lists here. We're, like, we're making food that people are going to put in their mouth, you know, and it's something you can't lose sight of the end product. And I think that's that's really important to see, like, yeah, I just grated, like, you know, 12 quarts of vegetables. That really sucked, you know. But then, you know, once the dish is done, it's, like, this really cool, uh, bird's nest and it's got these other sauces with it and like the textural experience of why the thickness of those vegetables is important then you realize why it's important you know it's like it makes a difference if it's too thin if it's too fat like all of those things have to be uh, tied together to um, the end product and you know it's just food yeah but it's also this is a meal you know and that's kind of an important important part of the day I don't know, having a little bit of romance with what you're doing is nice. Sometimes it's hard to see through the fatigue and, and be inspired, let alone inspire other people. But as much as you can do that, and just having that culture in your kitchen is um, is really important. And, again, sometimes you're not inspired at all. Like, I just, my feet hurt so bad, I just want to lie down. But, you know, you just have to <laughs> push through it, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you really have to love the business. So this is what it comes down to. Like, I don't think there's a like. There's certain common threads. It seems like I find in, in all and like every, like all the successful owners like yourself that I talk to. But generally speaking, like you have to find your own formula that works well for you based on your personality, your style, and so forth. And um, part of it too, it just seems like you. I mean, like in order to to. You just have to love what you do, right? Like I think there has like to be – you have to love something about it. I mean, yeah. nobody loves everything about it. Nobody loves everything about it, any job, you know. That's yeah. called work for a reason. But there has to be some part of it that really, um, it, you know, it gets you off, and you have to be um, able to share that excitement, whether it's the food part of it, whether it's the service part of it, whether it's the presentation or the um, the lighting or the talking to the guests or sharing a story or whatever it is. I mean, that has to be a, a spark in your eye, you know, and your staff sees that. They, they see what's important to you and they hopefully a good staff will take that and run with it, you know and be that extension that you really need to have, you know, a sense of confidence and for everything to be harmonious and feel like it's not forced. And, you know, you can anybody can tell when they walk into a restaurant and they get given a spiel that was obviously memorized and it has a bunch of words that are kind of make you ugh, like, 
cringe a little bit, you know, that's not going to really, like, make you feel comfortable. So if your staff can convey the things that are exciting to you and they really get it, then your guests are going to get it. Last question is, uh, I don't want you to go, I want to respect your time, but is um, when do you when do you find yourself really um, the most inspired, or when do you really when do you come alive? Um, what what what? It's either you know you can tell me a, a specific example or just what really gets you um, kind of gets your juices flowing, gets you fired up about uh, about what you're doing. Um, when a dish comes together and it's delicious, there's no beating that, or a cocktail even, you know, when everything just, when you get something in the door, so a new product or new ingredient, there's a new season, you look at this thing and you make something and it tastes good, it's the best feeling in the world. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, probably one that uh, never you never tire of. <laughs> no, no, and you may dread that process, and you may hate yourself during that process. And that's the thing, you know, you just like everybody's creative process is different. Mine has a lot of like self <laughs> tied into it, but then you know you always kind of. Why, come why out is of that? It. I don't know. I mean, I think I wish I knew because I'd love to change that. Because every time it's like somewhat of a. <laughs> self-defeating kind of feeling, but I think maybe that makes you try a little bit harder. I don't know, maybe I've written in some sort of punishment into the creative process so I'll be, like, motivated. I'm not sure, but, um, but yeah, I mean, that's just a part of how how it kind of works out, but when it does work out, it's excellent. And sometimes it's, it's like, yeah, the harder ones are even more satisfying, you know. Yeah, the self, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, when I hear you say, like, you have this, like, some internal self-doubt, uh, it's it's um, it's funny. I, I, I may share a little bit of that sometimes. I think, you know, there's, like, there's self-doubt. There's also mm, maybe high expectations of yourself. And so you, you, you know, in some ways that almost drives you because, I mean, look, you know, you've got, You've got this awesome band and this great restaurant and a bar and I mean like you've done off you just you you know you're inspiring so just Aww. always keep that in mind like what you've done is really neat a lot of people they'll listen to this they'll they'll soak up energy and wisdom and passion from you and it'll help inspire them and you know you're you're doing great stuff but it's probably always good to to keep the you know like you're just you're clearly very humble and so that probably is that humility can help you have success too because you. You know, you always expect a lot of yourself, maybe, and so maybe there's some good in that. But, but also remember that you're, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're clearly somebody that a lot of people would love to learn from and and uh, and you know aspire to to be like. So you know, oh, I really gosh. tip my hat. To I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. No, absolutely no. It's it's very true. It's very true. Um, so, uh, well, listen, Chibi, thanks a ton. I, I can't thank you enough for the time. I know you all are busy, but just we really appreciate serving y'all. Appreciate you taking the time to do this, and um, you know anything I can ever do for you, let me know. But I'll, well, thank I'll let you, you run so it. much, thank you. and thank you for thinking of us. And you know, Schedule Fly has made my life a lot easier. So I appreciate all of the attention to detail that you put into your product. So <laughs> um, thanks for that. That was nice of you to say. I, I appreciate that. Thank you no very problem. much. We we love having the chance to serve uh, folks like y'all, and it gives me the opportunity to 
to do something like this. So it's it's awesome. Um, I love it. Um, well, listen, thank you, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. But appreciate it very much. Hope to meet you sometime. Uh, you will. I will be there. I, I, I'm in my. I will, I'm in Raleigh a decent amount. I live in Charlotte, but I'm in there a decent amount. My dad was there. Uh, I've been to Capitol Club a couple times and we filmed over there, and, and I loved what they're doing. And Jake has told me so much great stuff about y'all. So uh, he's an excellent neighbor. We we are so lucky to have each other next to each other. It's been it's like a little family block. <laughs> it's awesome. But um. Well, yeah, yeah and y'all have a cool. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, I just think it's cool that, like, and it seems like you two are a good example of what it seems like in general in Raleigh. Like, a lot of the, these awesome independent restaurants and everybody seems to kind of, like, support each other. And it's not competitive. It's more this, like, rising tide lifts all boats kind of mentality. And I think it's just, it's really cool. I mean, I think you have a great scene in Raleigh for for independent restaurants. And it's uh, something that a lot of cities would, would love love to have. Yeah, uh, everybody's really supportive of each other. And it's, yeah. you know, it's unusual, I think. It's excellent. Absolutely. Well, hey, Chidi, thank you so much, and uh, you all have a good uh, good evening, and uh, keep after it. Uh, keep doing great stuff. Thank you so much, Will. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Okay, bye. Bye.